0: This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Moshe Engelberg, the author of a new book entitled The Amari Wave, Uplifting Business by Putting Love to Work. Please listen to podcast number 761, where Moshe and Greg speak about the benefits of embedding love into the workplace and the tremendous effects that it brings to employees, customers and the business. Many businesses such as REI, Costco, Trader Joe's, and many others have experienced profits and employee engagement levels rise as a result of bringing love into the workplace. We hope you enjoy this engaging and informative interview with author Dr. Moshe Engelberg about his new book, The Amari Wave. Please listen to podcast number 761. And if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Moshe Engelberg's new book, please visit www.theamariwave, spelled A-M-A-R-E. Thanks for listening.
1: Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from Laguna Beach, California, just up the road from me here in Encinitas, is author Dave McKinnon. And I hopefully I said that right. Is that right, Dave?
2: It's McEwen, but it's, it's okay. It's, it's- it's, it's Irish, so nobody really understands. Okay, it it. well, McEwen.
1: <laughs> so we're going to say McEwen because he is a transplant from Ireland many years ago, and he has a new book out called The Self-Evolved Leader. Elevate your focus and develop your people in a world that refuses to slow down. And boy, is that true. That last statement is so true, Dave. Um, we have a world which is moving pretty fast. And as I always do, Dave, I like to let my listeners know a little bit about our authors. Um, And for those of you, if you want to learn more about Dave, you can go to his website at outfieldleadership.com. That's outfieldleadership.com. Dave helps individuals and teams and organizations achieve excellence by doing extraordinary Uh, things. He is the CEO of Outfield Leadership and the author of the book that we're going to be speaking about today. He has a wealth of expertise in connecting individuals and team performance to improving business results with a particular focus on fast-growing, complex organizations. Dave started his career as a consultant at Accenture, quickly moved to become the COO and then president of Predictable Success, a boutique consultancy focusing on helping Complex Businesses Achieve Scalability. Uh, predictable, uh, predictable Success also ran Inc. Consulting, a joint venture with Inc. Media, which helped companies on aspiring to be on the Inc. 5000, achieve, consult, and scalable growth. He shared his leadership strategies at the Inc. 500 and Grow Co-Conferences, Bank of America for the British government- entrepreneur organizations bamboo hr and countless others he's working with leaders at spectrum health renewal by anderson and many other companies he's a host of his own podcast show which is called lead like you give a damn and writes a weekly column for inc.com he's a native of ireland he now resides as we said in newport beach I not newport beach in laguna beach uh, and he has a lovely wife, Paris, an awesome two children. Is that right? No, a staffy, a little dog, Maggie. Oh, well, see, I wouldn't have known if those were dogs or, or those were daughters. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's sort of like our daughter, to be fair. Of course they are. Dogs are family. They're probably <laughs> as important, you know. Well, Dave, I want to start this off because, you know, one of the things you say right in the subtitle of the book is just the speed at which we're moving. And I've been getting a lot of interviews lately with people like BJ Fogg and Niri uh, on a book called Indistractable and Tiny Habits. And we talk about how people try and keep up, right? Mm. And in the introduction to your book, you describe a world which is changing quickly and that the leaders of our workplace and world need to be agile, aware, and make decisions with the ability to almost like predict the future. Um, What are the five internal characteristics of what you would refer to as this self-evolved leader that you talk about in the book?
2: Sure. I mean, first of all, just delighted to be on with you, Greg, and to just share um uh share some of my thoughts on on what I see out there um but also just absolutely honored to be amongst great uh, companies the book that b j wrote i 'm reading at the minute and it's it 's fantastic and and i think you're you 're right that you know the world that we 're living in it it just is getting faster and faster and the amount of um interruptions that we have to deal with on on an ongoing basis. Um, is just getting really difficult to manage. And one of the things that successful leaders out there that I see are doing um, is finding a way to elevate their focus amongst, uh, above that kind of day-to-day tactical firefighting. And in order to do that, they develop these five internal characteristics that you mentioned. Um, first of all, they just have a, a ruthless, um, relentless uh, focus on pushing for growth that for them and their own people, they they don't just rest with what they've got but that they want to continue to develop and grow and build better behaviors and build better habits. I think that's hugely important in today's world because I think that there are a number of managers and leaders for whatever reason that have just kind of given up on their own growth and one of the reasons that I I wrote the book was to try and reignite some passion with them. The second um, characteristic is that they demonstrate vulnerability you know, it used to be that old adage that leaders knew the way they go, the way and they show the way. But the reality is that in today's day and age with so many inputs, the the degree to which we can be absolutely clear is starting to diminish. And I think that we're seeing a movement in our leaders or su- certainly our successful leaders towards demonstrating a a higher degree of vulnerability of saying, you know what, I don't know 100% where we're going. Here's where I think we're going. Would you come with me? I think it's gonna be an awesome journey. Let's go. Um, And kind of coupled with that then is the third um, characteristic, which is that they practice deep empathy, that they're able to put themselves in the shoes of the people that they manage and they lead every day to really get a sense of what they're going through to help them in their own growth and development. Uh, And ultimately, number four, they feel a sense of connectedness, not just with their own people, but also into the communities that they serve and that the decisions that they make, they try to do it with the best interest of those communities that they serve, not necessarily their own uh, particular interests. And then number five, they operate from a sense that they can control what they can control and they can't control what they can't. And those areas that they know that they can control their own development, their own growth, they really um, are very good at pushing that forward, but not getting um, stuck in this victim mentality of oh well, I can't control those outer or those external characteristics. There's not much that I can do. So those are the five the five um, uh, key characteristics. They push for growth. They demonstrate vulnerability. They practice empathy. They feel a sense of connectedness, and they operate from their locus of control.
1: Well, and I think all of that adds up. If you were to take the five characteristics, you know, it's a really high emotional intelligence. Um, uh-huh. and people that are, are what you're referring to as self-devolved leaders have that ability to communicate, to connect, uh, to create an environment where it isn't about competition, but it's about cooperation. 100%.
0: 100%. And so
1: you've done just a wonderful job of articulating that. And I really appreciate you're letting the reader know how your book was structured. That's, you know, we don't find that a lot in books. And I I wanted to acknowledge you for that. And that you you could expect what they can expect from each chapter in the book. What are the four main parts of your book? And how can leaders who are listening to us today use the content to evolve themselves into self-evolved leaders as you make reference to? Sure, and so the four key
2: parts of the book, number one really is just setting the scene um, in which over two chapters I talk about how some of the old models of leadership no longer work, Um, namely that um, there's this overarching sense of the leader as the hero, as the person that steps in and saves the day, that goes the extra yards, that solves the problem, and and, and that that there's a, a problem in that approach in that it drains empowerment and self-accountability from our people, and it provides um, overarching burnout or stress for the leader. So part one is all about setting up the old models of, of leadership and, and then helping leaders reset their perspective away from, from acts of heroism towards a cycle of excellence that I call part two i begin to break down how to make the shift away from heroic leadership towards self evolved leadership and for me there are three key elements one setting your vision where are you going as a leader and where is the team um what's the north star for the team number two and i think this is one where where leaders really struggle um, we can set a vision for where we want to go, but what's our implementation rhythm? How do we ensure that we're building a drumbeat of execution to get there? And um, what are our annual, quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily check-in points with ourselves and our team to ensure that we're, we're moving towards that vision? Uh, and then, um, Number five, what are some of the key disciplines that as a leader in today's day and age, you need to develop um, in order to, to really work through that implementation rhythm. So that's part two, it's all about the key elements. Um, Part three, we dive deeper into the five key disciplines that I believe that any manager or leader needs to develop in today's day and age, and we can touch on them as we go through if if it's of interest. And then part four is all about how do you sustain self-evolved leadership, both for you individually, and then how do you push it out into your organization, because the reality is that um, a leader who is out there at the vanguard of, of pushing what it means to be an effective leader um, needs the support of their organization in order to sustain that. So how do we take some of these concepts and, and push it further, deeper and wider into your organization?
1: Well, I think it's so important sometimes, you know, when people do speeches, you tell them what you tell them, you tell them what you've told them. Right. And in your uh-huh. book, you've done a really good job of letting people know hey, this is what I'm going to tell you and this is how you can use this book. Now, you, I'd like for you to explain this cycle of mediocrity that you discuss in the book and how we might break the pattern of mediocrity uh, that really kind of sets in. It sets in with leaders. It sets in with teams as well. Um, and you have a diagram in the book that I think does a really mm-hmm. good job of that. Can you speak to our sure. listening audience about this cycle of mediocrity?
2: Happy to, absolutely. So um, the the first step in the cycle is, is essentially what we started this um, discussion off on, which is just the speed at which things are changing and moving so quickly. And we've got to the point where, you know, Stephen Covey defined a number of years ago, um, the difference between things that are urgent and things that are important. The reality is for most leaders out there, everything, most things falls or they believe it falls into that bucket of urgent. It needs to get done now. So every interruption that comes in, any request from their manager, any customer that's unhappy, any problem with their team, everything is urgent or there's a sense of urgent needs to get dealt with right away. And so this sense of, of urgency um, coupled with most leaders' belief that the value that they add to their organization is to solve problems, to know the answers, and to, to essentially help their team through those, those challenges, means that in most cases, um, leaders dive in and try to save the day right away, so they, they, they emerge with these acts of heroism. So it can happen in little ways, like somebody comes into your office and says, hey, boss, um, here's a problem that we're facing. What should we do? You tell them, oh, go do X, Y, and Z, and they go do it. In that instance, you've essentially um, taken away the empowerment, taken away the responsibility from your person, and you've said, I know the answer. Here's what you can do. Or at the very extreme, they actively get. Um, involved to save the day. So our biggest customer is about to pull their business. So instead of letting my team who have the regular contact with their customer try and win them back, I jump in, I make the phone call, I make it happen. And so we're leading through these acts of heroism, through these diving catches, saving the day. And it feels really good because it, it, it um, it's fodder for our ego. It makes us feel needed, it makes us feel valued, it makes us feel um, like we're, we're bringing something to our team. But what happens over time is the more of heroism that you you build, um, the more stress and burnout you get. And also where it becomes really problematic for your team is you're starting to teach them learned helplessness. You're starting to teach them that if they have something that's too difficult or a problem, all they need to do is knock on your door, send you an email, or pick up the phone and say, hey, boss, I have a problem. And you'll pick it up and run with it. And so over time, the the barrier that they set for what they consider to be too difficult starts to lessen and lessen and lessen to the point where you're just ultimately doing almost everything for them. They're not learning and they're not growing. That leads on to the final stage in the cycle, which is just disempowerment. And over time, they just disengage with trying to solve difficult challenges, which then loops back into this sense of urgency for you because now you've got more things on your plate. And so we end up in this place where your folks are disem- disempowered, you're frustrated because you're taking too much on, and it's just that degree of mediocrity. It doesn't mean that we're not necessarily getting through the day, we're just not moving towards excellence. And that's where uh, we need to get to in the book. That's where we need to the self-evolved leader goes to, he moves away from the self from the cycle of mediocrity towards the cycle of excellence.
1: Yeah, and I think as a leader, if you co-create the solution, uh it's always better ask questions. How would you solve this problem? Right. Um, yes. How would, how would you fix the problem that we have today? I mean, there's yes. great questions that you can ask of your team members or the the mm-hmm. rest of the people that are working within middle management, upper management, wherever it is. And Dave, you vision and purpose. That's well articulated. You spoke about it a minute ago and has buy-in from employees is invaluable in an organization. What questions would a self-evolved leader be asking to formulate a compelling vision and purpose for the organization to get buy-in from the employees and who would he or she include in that process?
2: Sure. I think that uh, that buy-in is hugely important. And the more that you can um, have co-conspirators in your success, the the, the better and um, a lot of times leaders go and try to write a vision statement or a purpose statement on their own, and, and I actively encourage in the book for you to engage your team. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's great to spend a half a day or a day with your team in a room and start asking questions like, what does success look like for you, um, for the folks in your team, both individually and collectively? You know, cast the net out five or 10 years from now. What are we doing as a team? What does that look like? What's the impact? That um, we're having. Um, secondly, then tied to that is equally important: just the concept of why. Why do you do what you do every day? What is it that inspires your people to come in every day? Because if we can build a vision or a purpose statement that's already based on what's inspiring them, then we're likely to to, to we're more likely to achieve it than than not. Another great question I think to ask is if there was no barrier, what would you like to see our team achieve? If money wasn't an option, if market circumstances wasn't an option, if other political circumstances within the organization weren't there, what would you like us to achieve? And then the final question I think is great to ask your team is, if this was the only job that you could have for the rest of your life, what would you want your legacy to be? And the reason why it's good to get a range of all of those is not that they necessarily go into the, the vision statement um, verbatim, but they start to get your team's um, creative thoughts just moving in a direction of what could be possible for us. Um, and I just think they're just great starting points.
1: Yeah, and you give those questions in the book, and I just want to let our readers know that if uh, you go out and buy a copy of Dave's book, um, much of this is with inside the book for questions for you to ponder, answer, uh, for you and your teams. So it's right there for you, Dave, you, um, I just did an interview that I mentioned a few minutes ago with Nir Eyal and the book was mm-hmm. called Indistractable. Uh, it is a matter mm-hmm. of fact, it just broke this morning on our podcast just released. Um, and you speak about reclaiming your attention and the importance mm-hmm. of that or a self-evolved leader, what recommendations do you have to help people uh, reclaim that attention because of the speed at which things are moving and the fact that most leaders feel like they need to be involved in many elements associated with the development of the company and the employees and so on. So they get so scattered that it's very hard mm-hmm. for them to focus on what's important. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, you spoke about that and um, uh, Covey, what Covey had done. uh, And Mm -hmm. I'd like for you to articulate how we can reclaim our attention.
2: Sure, and, and I think it it's was a huge topic in 2019 and I think it'll become even bigger as as we move forward. Um, you know, some great work last year, Cal Newport has a great book called Digital Minimalism, which is a very helpful resource for folks to, to check out, and um, Near's book as well. I think that everybody's becoming to realize that this is such a crucial skill, not just in our own personal development, but then particularly in, in the leadership side of things. Um, the funny thing is that a lot of our behavior, um, a lot of our behavior that's that's related to our attention is habitual in nature, um, and we have become um, driven by inputs to do a behavior. Um, and and so in the same way that you would want to overcome any uh, bad habit, you know, the same way that BJ Fogg talks about in his book, first of all, you've got to have a perspective shift. Um, one of the biggest perspective shifts that leaders need to have is to stop chasing emergencies um there is this sense i i believe that we have conditioned ourselves to believe that if we're chasing emergencies that are that there's something valuable in that and it's exciting and it it it, it gets a, our adrenaline going and it it um gives us an endorphin rush whenever we can find an emergency or a crisis to solve the reality is that excellence in leadership as in everything in life is built on the mundane and um, one of the overarching philosophies in the book um, as we talk about urgent versus important is to move away from what's urgent to what, to what is what important for your team and that's usually thinking about the long-term direction of your team and the development of your people and so that perspective shift has to, has to come to say, as a leader, the value that I add isn't in chasing emergencies. It's in thinking about the long term direction of, of my team and the development of my people. And there are a couple of really simple things that you can do there. Um, number one is you've got to stop using your head and your inbox as a to do list. Um, that has we've known that for years, all the way back to when David Allen wrote getting things done, that either your brain nor your email were designed to be used as an inbox. So you have to get everything out, whether you want to use a paper-based solution or an app-based solution, just commit to not using your head and your and your email because they're just not designed that way. Secondly, you have to become really ruthless at prioritization. And this is a skill that you can practice over time. When something comes in, a new input comes into into your life, whether it's an email or a phone call or a Slack message or a water cooler conversation, getting really good at saying, you know what, this is something that needs to get dealt with right now, or actually we can probably deal with that at our next meeting or um, our next one-on-one or tomorrow morning. And and not saying yes to everything that, that comes across your way. Uh, Next, a really um, uh, crucial thing is to to have a ruthless or a relentless focus on the next action. Um, There are a lot of times when leaders will you know, hold a meeting and everybody thinks that they had a really good meeting and they really enjoyed it, and then they walked out the door and said, what did we actually agree to do? Um, We're historically, as as a species, not very good at saying, okay, what's the next action? Who's responsible? And when are we going to come back and review it? So just getting really, really good at, at that. And then the final thing is um, to decide on the right forum for implementation. We have this tendency to just deal with every issue as it comes in front of us. But sometimes it needs to be, you know, a wider discussion. Sometimes we need to pull other people into it. Sometimes we need to wait until our next strategic review. Sometimes it needs to wait until our next one on one. Getting really good at deciding on that forum for implementation. And like I said at the beginning, those aren't necessarily the Sexiest or the coolest thing to do in leadership, but that's what br- brings excellence into what you're doing every day.
1: Well, it's uh, I think this old cl- cliche, the devil's in the details, has always been yes. important. And I think if people, um, it's not that you're focusing on the minor things; you're focusing on the major things, which are affecting mm. all the minor things. Um, mm-hmm. And and it, you know, th- it's like proximal goals, right? It's like I have a goal, but what are the proximal goals? What are the ones that have to happen before the big goal actually gets accomplished. And we we do need to keep track of that. And I think one of the things that Nir talked about in in Indistractable and also is articulated in Tiny Habits is that we get these distractions as a result of being bored. Um, yes. And the reality is that's part of our system. So we we mm-hmm. if you think we have ADD, you might multiply it by 10 because with today's world and everything that we have coming at us, and Nir says this as well, you know, it isn't the fault of the iPad or the phone. It's the systems that you've created. Um, yes. And so when you allow yourself to be distracted like that as a result, oh, I'm going to go surf Facebook or I'm going to go you know, go on uh, Instagram or I'm going to go wherever uh, because you're bored with whatever it is that you're doing. So I think, I think it's really good. Now, one of the core disciplines is facilitating team flow. flow. What are Mm -hmm. some of the questions team leaders might want to ask of themselves and the team members to inspire more team flow that you talk about in the book?
2: sure what well, the the big thing um about team flow is ensuring that um, the workload that comes into your team is distributed accordingly to the people that are meant to do it um comes back up to you for appropriate review and and then back out into the rest of the organization and it, you know one of the core components of, of that is is just your ability as a leader to delegate effectively and if I had a dollar for the amount of time that people said. Well, I don't want to delegate that task to my, to my team because either uh, they're not going to do it right or I'm going to have to fix it for them or I don't have enough time. Um, you know, I wouldn't need to be writing books. I'd be a, a millionaire because it's just such a common, um, it, it's a common excuse for not delegating. What, what you're really saying as a leader is, um, it's more important to me, to my ego to do this uh, because I subjectively don't think that they're going to do it the way that I would want them to do it. And so it's important to get really good at delegating almost everything that you can off your to-do list out to your team. And the way to look at it is if you looked on your to-do list and, and truly ask yourself, if is this item on my to-do list something that somebody on my team could do, even if it required me to spend a little bit of time with them, showing them or explaining something to them, then you should delegate that out. You know, one of the, um, uh, um, the goals here is to essentially get work yourself out of a position to say, my team is now so competent and experienced at doing the work that they don't need me. What a great place to get to. And so you should constantly be asking yourself, is this something on, that somebody on my team can do it? If so, who should do it? Um, and how can I give it to them in a way that's clear, that allows them to go execute on it and get the job done? Um, without me needing to hang over their shoulder and micromanage it um, and and essentially make them feel like I'm watching them at at every turn.
1: Agreed. And I think that comes down to also, you know, something else that you did a good job of explaining, which is collective accountability. You mentioned Hmm. to build collective accountability, it builds trust, respect and a desire for each other to succeed. So in other words, a very strong reason for teamwork to work at its optimum. What are some of Mm -hmm. the practices that our listeners who are leaders or they're in a a position of leadership can develop to build this collective accountability with inside the teams?
2: Sure. So, I mean, and the reason I think that it's so important is um, if we're working towards that shared purpose, then you know whenever everybody is in, comes into a room to discuss a, an issue or a challenge or or something that's difficult, you know that we're headed in the same direction that we're all there to achieve the same thing. Um, and You'd be amazed at the number of groups that I work in, walk into, and we have a discussion around goals. And when you add it all up, there are some goals that that blatantly com- compete with each other, and, and that's a really hard way to run a team. So, the first thing that you've got to do is ensure that your team creates their goals. Um, You know, in in organizations today, there's still a mentality that says, you know, we'll we'll create a financial goal at the top and then that'll cascade down and then that'll cascade down and that'll cascade down and that'll cascade down down until somebody just gets handed a goal and they've had no input into it. And if you get no input into your goals, then what's the degree of buy-in that you're going to have? It's going to be severely reduced. So have your team create their goals um, both on their own and then have them share them with each other. What your job is is to ensure that when they're sharing their goals, that they're complementary and interdependent. So you want to make sure that there's no competing goals in there and you want to make sure that that collectively that they add up to achieving your overarching team goal. Um, so the more that you can push that down onto them, and, and get them to do that in the goal setting um a, a part of this process, the better.
1: Well, that really does make for collective accountability. In other words, what you're doing is you're allowing people to collaborate, understand each other's goals. Also, one of the things that I would think would be who is best suited for those particular things versus just an assignment, right? Some people have right. skill sets that are better. So you want to look at the actual skill sets of the individuals within inside the organization um, and look at accountability and then who within that subset team could help accomplish that goal as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Now, Dave, mm-hmm. in your last chapter on your journey to self-evolved leadership, you provide the reader with tools and exercises to work on their skills. And you ask them questions and it's a great chapter in the book because it kind of wraps up everything that we've talked about and it's in one place. It's almost like a little mini workbook in the book. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. Can you explain to the listeners the most effective way to make what you refer to as perspective shifts to become a self-evolved leader? Because, you know, we've gone through everything now. Now it's like, okay, what are these perspective shifts that I have to make?
2: Sure, absolutely. The first perspective shift that you want to make is just to actually, funny enough, go back to that first chapter and and, and to, to think about the cycle of mediocrity that we talked about, always leading through acts of heroism and the learned helplessness that you, you build in your team towards that cycle of excellence, which is all about what we've talked about, building shared goals, shared accountability, your focus on the long-term direction of your team and development of your people. And I talk about building a new mantra which is that, and this is the key perspective shift that underpins all of this. Um, I I would love our leaders this year to develop the mantra that says this, my focus is to help those on my team achieve our shared goals and in doing so to help them become the best version of themselves. There's two parts of that, right? There's the shared goals uh, it, it's not about helping your team achieve their individual goals, because the the reality is that if somebody, one person on your team achieves their individual goals, but your team overall fails, then you've failed, you haven't succeeded. So your focus has to be on, on achieving those shared goals. But then secondly, um, just as if not more important, it's that in doing so, you're helping your team become the best version of of themselves. And so that means that it's not about just getting out there and ramming You know, your head against the wall to achieve your goals, which happens so often, but that we're achieving the goals or we're trying to find a way to achieve those shared goals and at the same time developing our people so we're giving them more authority we're giving them more control they're taking more accountability we're helping them see where their skill set needs worked on we're helping them get experience to grow and develop we're helping them plan out a career path for them over the next number of years um, and 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 what a great combination achieving our shared goals and developing our people at the same time so for me that's the fundamental perspective shift under all of all of this
1: well, it, you, you are going to need a perspective shift to become the self-evolved leader, no doubt about it. And if you're leading from the old-fashioned style of command and control, that doesn't work anymore. Uh, it's about cooperation. It's about collaboration. It's about compassion. It's about bringing love into the workplace. And this book is a great example of having someone become that kind of leader. Um, somebody who is working to create a union toward a common vision and purpose. And I really appreciate anybody who writes a book like this because it's the perspectives that's important. And Dave McKinnon has really done a great job for all my listeners. uh, You want to go to outfieldleadership.com. That's outfieldleadership. We are going to put a link to uh, the website here. We're also, I would, um, expect you to kind of go in, if you would, and look at his leadership programs, Spark, Accelerate, Master, Keynotes. He's got all kinds of free leadership training resources um, and more about Dave. So go to outfieldleadership.com to learn more about him as well as the book. We'll put a link to Amazon to the book so that people can uh, purchase that. You can also sign up for free training At Dave's website by just clicking the button on the right-hand side of that website. Um, Dave, any last words that you want to leave with our listeners today um, about not only the book, but really outfield leadership and how they could get involved and engaged if they're looking to actually do a training um, with you and or your company?
2: Sure. I mean, the the last word that I'd I'd love to leave with folks is that like any uh, behavior change or habit change in your life, it all starts with you. And and I just encourage you to, if something's resonated here with you, to just sit down and think about, well, what do you want to achieve as a leader this year? Uh, and then go and, and make that happen. Um, you know, my passion and my delight is in helping leaders and leadership teams make the transition from heroic leadership to self-evolved leadership. And, and so I'd be delighted to help anybody that's out there. Like you said, there's a number of training and consulting programs that I have there. Um, there's a contact us um, page on the website, fill that out and happy to chat with you at any point. Or you can find me on Twitter at Dave McHugh, and I'm also on LinkedIn uh, and Facebook.
1: And we'll put those links as well. And so for my listeners, it's Dave McKinnon. The book is called The Self-Evolved Leader, Elevate Your Focus and Develop Your People in a World That Refuses to Slow Down. Dave, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth today and speaking with our listeners, uh, not only about your book, but your philosophy for the leadership into the future. Uh, It's been an honor having you on. Thanks so much.
2: Great. Greg, thank you so much. Been a pleasure to be here. Really appreciate it.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Nir Eyal, the author of a new book entitled Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Life. Please listen to podcast number 764, where Nir and Greg speak about the need to learn how to avoid distractions if we want to accomplish our goals, as well as spend quality time with those we love. We can be indistractable by learning and adopting four key strategies mastering internal triggers, hacking back external triggers, making time for traction, and preventing distractions with packs. If you want to learn more about Nir and his new book, Indistractable, please visit n-i-r-a-n-d-f-a-r.com, where you can obtain a free copy of his 80-page supplemental workbook. Thanks for listening.